Praise God. Please take your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Book of Revelation is amazing uh, to me. It's the most radical book in the Bible. Uh, it's the Omega book, the last we studied, how Revel Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, the first few chapters of the first book of the Bible, where paradise is lost and thorns and thistles come up and, and there's no more access to the tree of life and Adam and Eve are booted out of the Garden of Eden and out of paradise and their bodies turn back to dust and you have the curse and mourning and pain. And then the first chapter or chapter 21 of Revelation, the first few verses and chapter 22, the first few verses, what do you see? You see that there's no more curse, amen? There's no more death, there's no more pain, there's no more mourning, amen? And you have access again to the tree of life. You have access to paradise. And most importantly, you have not only access to God, but you have direct, unmediated uh, access to God. And then you are in his very presence. Amen? And we talked about how you could not be in the very presence of God. Moses got close, but he only saw his afterglow. And guess what happened to Moses? Moses became lit up where people couldn't even look at him because he was so bright spending time in God's presence. Because it says, who can dwell in everlasting burnings? Because God is a, what? Consuming fire. He's perfectly good and perfectly pure, but because we are evil, we can't handle it. Unless God somehow forgives us. And he did that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross, amen? And transforms us and makes us into his likeness. So we share his likeness, therefore we can have fellowship with him again. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. It's returning to paradise. And what makes paradise paradise more than anything else is God's very presence. God is love, amen? And we are just, just absolutely you know, unabatedly inundated with God's presence because we can now handle it because we've been fully forgiven and we've been fully transformed, amen, in New Jerusalem. And therefore, we are radiating his presence and his love and his joy where it says in the scripture that at his right hand is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, amen. That's what we're looking forward to. And if you pick it up, we left off last week in verse 15, but I want you to read verses 10 and 11 with me before we go to verse 15 so I can underscore a point. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, New Jerusalem, or Jerusalem it says here, not new, but elsewhere it says New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the what? Having the glory of God. That's the fullness of God's splendor. That's the fullness of God's love. That's the fullness of God's person that we will be able to experience the glory of God. Her brilliance was a very, it was like a very costly stone. It was like a very costly stone. And the stone, and a stone of crystal, clear what? As a stone of clear or crystal clear jasper. Now it's interesting that jasper is highlighted because the appearance of the city, it, there's different stone imagery used here, but the jasper is singled out as and I think this is important. We'll get back to it in a minute. I pointed this out last time briefly, but now we're going to really get into the stones and other features of this city that thoroughly blow me away. They just put me on my face before God. I'm like, this is amazing. And by the way, there's evidence in this message from New Jerusalem that shows you this is before modern technology that we're given. I've given you a witness through the book of Revelation of all kinds of prophecies that couldn't have been known, couldn't have, uh, no one could have an understanding of how they would come to pass without technology. 
like a worldwide 666 system of numbering, you know, or two witnesses being seen dead by the, all the nations on the earth for three and a half days. That was impossible without satellite. You got to go back 2,000 years. They didn't have any understanding of how these things would be fulfilled. And then I actually quote different scholars and biblical commentators saying, we don't know how this is going to be fulfilled. It doesn't make sense, but we'll have to wait and see. And now we're looking like, wow, yeah, we've got satellite. We've got, you know, world commerce and everything else, you know. We've looked at that, things of that nature. But there's things of the nature of New Jerusalem where you couldn't even really understand what's going on here until you realize what's happened in the last generation with regard to technology. And it just blows me away, you know. Uh, but anyway, New Jerusalem, he sees coming down prepared as a bride for husband, if you look at chapter 21, the first couple verses. And this is basically a recapitulation of that, where now he brings us back to that moment. And it has the glory of God in it, but the glory of God is shining. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone, the stone of a crystal clear jasper. So it's like the city is made of this, and keep in mind, these stones are a picture of the ultimate stones that are being used there, okay? And they're incredibly beautiful. Unlike stones, I mean, we can look at these stones here on this earth and say, wow, it's like this stone. But when you see uh, the gates are made of pearl, you know, and you're like, gates made of pearl? There's things I've seen carved out of pearl because there's pearls as big as two feet long, which it's like, whoa, because they come out of clams, right? But these pearls are like huge gates, okay? So, so uh, it's quite mind-blowing. But John sees, and we'll see in this first picture, uh, uh, and can we have the lights off? That'd be great, man, because... That way we can see these pictures better. Thanks, Tony. Perfect timing, man, if you hit the lights. As many off as possible would be great. So we'll get that first picture up, bro. Did John see New Jerusalem? Now some of you are wondering how I actually got this picture of John seeing this. Well, this isn't the real thing. So whatever you see, keep in mind, you've got to tone it down a thousand, billion, zillion times to what it's actually going to look like. Okay but he's on a high mountain. He sees New Jerusalem. And by the way, it's much taller than that, what we're looking at there. Uh, but in verse 15 and 16, which we're now getting into the main body of text that we're to study, the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Now it's interesting. It's a square, guys. And its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod. 1,500 miles, its length and width and height are what? Equal. Notice there. Notice what it says. The length, the width, the height are equal, okay? And that's kind of, that's really interesting because we have just, and I think one of the things that's being communicated there is absolute symmetry, absolute perfection, you know? That's perfect, okay? But it's huge. It's, it's humongous. 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. Thereabouts. Some will make it right around or over or just under 1,500 miles in those dimensions because of the size of a cubit. Most scholars and look at the cubit as about a foot and a half long. Okay? And uh, uh, so it depends on how long that cubit was. And most opt for most translations when they translate it in miles have it about 1,500 miles Wow, the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod measured the city and the gates and its wall. Now it's interesting, Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, uh, he also saw an angelic being who measured Jerusalem 
ancient Jerusalem. Ezekiel saw an angelic being who, me- who measured the j- temple in the, the millennial temple. The apostle John in Revelation chapter 11 is called to measure the upcoming temple. And it's interesting here we see that this measuring rod is shown. Well, what's the point of all this? He's emphasizing, I believe, that Jerusalem is a real material and physical city with real dimensions to it, okay? Keep in mind, we're created in God's image, but we're created physical. When we rise from the dead, we are body, soul, and spirit, but we're still physical bodies. Now these bodies will become supernatural to be made like Jesus' body. Now Jesus' body is still physical, although it's glorified. Touch and see me, that I have hands and feet. You know, he's, he said that I'm not a spirit, for a spirit has not flesh and bone, he said in the resurrection. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise it up. And it says he spoke of the temple of his body, yet his body could pass through walls. Yet his body can fly, okay? I mean, he ascended up to heaven, amen? He's coming back again, and we'll be caught up to meet him in the air, and we'll be made like him, and we'll be able to fly. Just, I'm really looking forward to that time. I'm really looking forward to that. Now, it's interesting that symmetry is beautiful. Let's look at the next picture. And in it, we see uh, artist's rendition of what this city, you know, how it's square. But now, this city is so huge, guys. Uh, let's look at the next picture, and you'll see it in an artist's, uh, you know, rendition as to what it would look like if it was on the earth in the next pic that we'll see. Uh, here we see it sitting on the earth, uh, absolutely huge, 2.25 million square miles on just its base, okay? That would contain about two-thirds of the conjoined aspect of the United States, two-thirds of it on its base. Uh, absolutely mind-boggling when you think about it. it. It makes cities like, you know, Tokyo, you know, uh, Sao Paulo, uh, Brazil, you know, uh, Shanghai, China, all the biggest cities look like, you know, villages or little neighborhoods compared to what this city is going to be. And it's interesting as far as how high it is. Anybody ever been to Mile High Stadium? Denver Broncos. I've been there and watched the game there before. And it's Mile High or just stadium is 5,280 feet above sea level. Well, this is 1,380, not feet, but miles high. Okay. It's going to be really high as far as how high it, it actually goes. It's, it's quite amazing. And it may actually have levels, you know. It might have levels because why is such the height where there's, you know, like you go to a mall and there's several levels, you know. Well, this would be not a mall. This is this huge city. And by the way, keep in mind this city is three things in one. It's a city, but it's also a temple. The whole city is a temple. Because God's a temple and he permeates the city. And it's a forest with a river of life coming out of God's throne. Trees that bear 12 different types of fruit on one tree. Mind-boggling and absolutely beautiful. And we get all these descriptions in the Old Testament about the animal life and the peace and the joy and the beauty. Now, it's really amazing. The significance, and I really want you to understand this today. Because to me, it's, there's so many precious things in God's word. And this is a precious thing in, this, in, this, in the truth in, in God's word that I want to bring out of this message. Why is the city square? Now, some, if you look at some depictions, if you did like a Google search of, New, don't do it now, of New Jerusalem, 
and the dimensions. Uh, some depict New Jerusalem as, as being a, because they have the height, right? And the base being the same, but they make it look like a pyramid, okay? Like an ancient pyramid, but just a new city. And I don't agree with that at all. Now, you can't refute that, dimensionally speaking, because it could still be 1,500 miles wide, and, right? And, and, and on, the, on the foundation, 1,500 miles and so forth. But I believe it, it ruins the typology that we see in Scripture. And the typology gives us some information as to why it would be considered square, a square city. And I think, that, and the, to me, this is very heavy. And you have to get your brain around this. This is one of the really beautiful points that you can look forward to in eternity. That when Adam and Eve, they walked with God. They were in the very presence of God. Then when sin had come into the world, they hid themselves. Amen? God's countenance, God's person in his fullness of glory cannot accept sin. They'd be disintegrated. Puffs of smoke, man, if he confronted them with in all his glory. Well, they were booted out of Eden. But you understand, ever since that time, God's objective was to bring them back to Eden or paradise, something actually beyond Eden that Eden was a picture of, even as Adam was a picture of Jesus, the last Adam, right? And Eve, a picture of the church who would reign with him and, all, and so forth. Well, after they were booted out of Eden, God brought them into the what land? The promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Israel is beautiful right now, man, but especially when you go into and see the forest, and, and, and if you even look from a topographical map, you'll see that just the Middle East is desert, except right there you've got this oasis, and it's called Israel, with all these trees and everything else. They've got a lot of their regrowth back, but many of the trees were destroyed because the Jews got taxed by their trees when they were overcome by the Romans and others, and they started cutting down their trees on their land because they got taxed according to how many trees they had and so forth. Well, guess what? It's, a, it's beautiful. But it was just a picture. Jerusalem, the city of our great king, was a picture of New Jerusalem. Amen? So God was saying, hey, I'm bringing you back to Eden. Or I'm bringing you back to, and it says, in the new heaven, new earth, it says it'll become like Eden again. And I'm bringing you back. But how could they actually enjoy God's very presence which is the ultimate highlight of heaven and the ultimate highlight of fullness of life is being in God's presence, he who is love and being just euphorically caught up in who he is. How could that happen? Because of our sinfulness. Well, guess what? God erected the temple. So you had Israel, then you had Jerusalem, then within Jerusalem you had the temple, which was built on a mountain. And by the way, New Jerusalem, it's kind of a trip because the, the, coming out of God's throne is a river which means that his throne will be what? Elevated, right? On the mountain of the Lord in New Jerusalem. Because rivers don't go uphill, guys. They go downhill, okay? So it's really mind-boggling when you think about it. But guess what? You would go into the temple, and you could go into the outer courts at three main sections. You have the outer courts, where, you know, the folks would come, even the proselytes who Gentiles converted to Judaism could hang out. Then you had the holy place, which is where just the priests could go in. But then you had the Holy of Holies, right? The Holy of Holies was a place where only who could go in? The high priest, amen. And how often could he go in? Once a year. And what was his purpose? To offer sacrifice before the Lord, amen? Atonement to, for the people. And he had to be so careful going in because if he had not taken the proper precautions and he walked in there according to what the Lord had said, 
and had not had a sacrifice done for himself prior to going in, he'd be dead, you know? He'd be dead. Some say, many, many commentators point out all over the place that he had a rope tied to his leg, his foot, so they could drag him out if he was killed. I have not been able to find that, though. Just to say, I haven't been able to find that in ancient history. I think that was, but they're trying to, they're, they're, they get that from the idea, because guess what? He would be killed if he wasn't right. But he could go in one time a year, and guess what? It was in the Holy of Holies. Why would he be killed? Because that's where what was? With the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God. You know, when they went to war, they'd bring the Ark of the Covenant with them, and the Ark of the Covenant would just wipe out all kinds of people, represented God's holy presence. So you went to the holy, uh, holies, you go to the temple, you go to the holy place, man, but you go to the holy holies, you were fried because you were dwelling, you would be walking right into the, God's glory in your sinfulness and you'd just be disintegrated. So it's really mind-boggling when you think about this, but I want you to follow this through because it's super, super heavy. Why, how, how did God make the temple? What? Why did he make the temple the way he did? Listen to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. They serve as a sanctuary, the sanctuary, the temple, that is a copy. It's a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. You catch that? So the temple that God made is a shadow of what is where? It's a copy of what's made in heaven. Or not what is made in heaven, but what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Because it was a miniature, keep in mind now, it is a miniature version of the heavenly kingdom. The, t the temple. And when you were looking at the temple, now I'm not saying everything in the temple was a, a, a copy of something going on in heaven, but it all pointed to heaven. All pointed to God's plan. So this blows me away. So when you go into the temple and you go into the Holy of Holies, if you were the high priest, you could get in the holy place just one time a year. You had to be right with God to offer up the sacrifice and put it on top of the, the mercy seat, which is on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And as you walked in, you better hope, man, you were right with God. Otherwise, you'd be wiped out. But guess what? That Holy Holies, what is that a picture of? That's a picture, that part of the temple is a picture of the city of New Jerusalem. How do we draw that conclusion? Well, <laughs> look at the dimensions of New Jerusalem. Well, it's not 15, not New Jerusalem. The, when, when Solomon's making the temple, and I could give you other scriptures as well in the Old Testament to prove the same point, but I don't want to take too much time on any one point. But when you go to 1 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to bring that up there, 1 Kings chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Of course, it's not 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. They couldn't build a temple like that, right? But he's given a miniature version. The Holy Holies, guess what it was? Perfectly square. Look what it says. Solomon also prepared the inner sanctuary within the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was what? 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits high. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. Sound familiar? And he also overlaid the altar of cedar. Now, I've done some study on this, and we'll do others in the future, of how the temple itself and the way it's constructed is just an all an incredible picture of Jesus. Even the Ark of the Covenant. What does the Ark of the Covenant have in it, according to the book of Hebrews? 
and Old Testament as well, had the, hit, the manna, right? Had the rod that budded, right? And it had the Ten Commandments, the two stone commandments. Had the way, the, 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 uh, the way was the rod that budded, showed them the way to go or who to pick. It had the truth, right? God's word, Ten Commandments. It had the life, the manna. It was all a picture of Jesus. And here you have cedar of our creation on earth and you have gold, which is made in a picture of what's in heaven. And Christ is God and man. And the whole tabernacle, I mean, it was, it was covered in animal skins, guys. It's a picture of sacrifice, you know. It's just mind-blowing in the whole sacrificial system. The high priest could not get into the Holy Holies. He could only get the Holy Holies by way of what? Sacrifice, amen? We can only get into the Holy Holies in heaven by way of sacrifice. So that Holy Holies, where nobody could go, but it was the very presence of God where people longed to be if they, God could just accept them, but their sin needed to be taken care of. No one could go to the Holy Holies except one guy one time a year, but guess what? All of us believers in Jesus Christ get to go into something far more wonderful than the Holy Holies. Because the Holy Holies is one picture. Because we get to go into the ultimate Holy Holies in the entire New Jerusalem, 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, which have, who knows, hundreds or thousands of different levels of beauty, right? Which this Earth's surface can, uh, would be you know, thousands of this Earth's surface big, when you think about it, in, the, in, in New Jerusalem. We don't know exactly how that works. We won't need elevators, though. We won't need stairs because we can fly, you know? I'm going to go check out level 322, you know, hang out there for a few weeks and worship the Lord there. I don't know how that can work out, guys. It would be amazing. But think about it. It is a huge cube, and the Holy Holies was a small cube, 20 by 20 by 20. But it was a picture of God's presence. But now Jerusalem, and I just think this is amazing. In fact, let's get a little, idea, a little better idea. We'll go to the next picture. Here you see the holy place next to the Holy Holies. At the top of the screen is the Holy of Holies. Okay, uh, a picture of it, by the way. And then we'll go to the next picture. And here we see uh, the high priest. Notice the gemstones on his chest. What's that about? Well, it gets heavier and heavier, guys. It gets more and more beautiful. But uh, it's interesting. It's a picture of him in the Holy Holies. But if you, get, if you get your Bible, Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 22 and 23. Because John's looking around. He doesn't see a temple. He's in New Jerusalem, but he's not realizing he's in the Holy Holies. The ultimate Holy Holies. He's looking around, he doesn't, he doesn't see a temple anywhere. But we look, I saw no temple, she says, in it. Why? For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are what? It's temple. Wow. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For what? The glory of God has what? Illumined it. And its lamp is the lamb. Wow. It's all lit up. And even as you see the menorah, you know, it's a picture of God's presence and his light in, in the holy of holies in the New Jerusalem. So John's seeing New Jerusalem. He's like, there's no temple in it. Because the whole thing is a temple. There's no more secular or profane and holy. Everything is now holy under the Lord. And we're in this huge, massive city, temple, paradise forest that we're going to be in forever. The glory that filled the Holy of Holies, guys, will actually fill all of New Jerusalem. Are you with me? It's mind-boggling when you think of it like that. 
but it won't be freaky like, oh no, it'll be like, praise God, we've been accepted through the blood of Christ, amen? There'll be just exceeding joy ever, forevermore. Chapter 21 now, are you with me? Are you following this so far? So I want you to be able to read the book of Revelation and go through these verses and say, ah, yeah, I know what that means. Whew, that's awesome, that's right. That's, that's the Holy Holy is a picture of that. And we're all gonna be there forever, amen? And that's why God uses such dimensions. 21.17, and he measured its wall 72 yards according to human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. We don't read in scripture a lot about angelic measurements, so we can't give too much comment on that. But it's interesting that the walls are 17, 72 yards. In the Greek, it's 144 cubits thick, or which is about 72 yards. And that's if he's referring to thickness Many scholars believe he's talking about the thickness of the walls there. The crazy thing is, you won't need the walls for what? Ancient cities needed walls for what? Protection. You won't need walls for protection, amen? Isn't that cool? You just have walls because the Lord's basically saying, you're secure in me. But there's 12 gates, and guess what the gates are? Open, right? They don't need to be closed, City gates were typically closed unless people were going or, you know, warriors were coming in or out or commerce or what have you. But these, these gates are open because of the presence of the Lord. Now look at verse 18. The material of the wall was what? Jasper. <laughs> there it is again. There's Jasper again because the whole city looks like Jasper. And it's interesting because that's like God's very presence even as we've talked about, but we'll mention again maybe. And the city was what? The city was pure gold, like clear glass. Now, some are saying, wait, how could gold be so pure? It's like glass, like, because he's letting us know it's translucent. Because everything, there's no hidden, there's no hiddenness. There's no mafia, so, you know. There's no, you know, evil politicians making plans. Uh, you know, there's no drug companies thinking about how we can, they can rip a bunch of people off. There's no, you know, socialist talking about how they're going to take in fascists and, you know, they're going to take over the world or whoever. There's no wickedness now in this city. So the gates are open. Because in Revelation chapter 22, at 1, at the end, they don't get in the city. In 22, 14, 15, they don't get in the city. 21, 8, they go to Lake of Fire. They're not there anymore. Only those whose hearts have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen, who've been cleansed by the precious blood of the Lamb will be in that city. And it's interesting, it's like, pure gold like clear glass now notice the like 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 okay so if you look at gold you say it's going to be made of this no it's like that so god's going to make it like that he's trying to give us human pictures of what god is doing but it's all translucent and just refracting colors everywhere how many of you trip out i trip out man on a rainy day especially in southern california because we don't get many of them but when you go outside and you see a huge bow of a rainbow and that was given as God's promise that he wouldn't, you know, flood the earth again and kill every human being on the earth and the animals except those on the ark, right? But it, it doesn't, it's so beautiful. I mean, how many of you love to see sunrises or sunsets and, uh, you know, skyscapes and colors are just mind-boggling, absolutely amazing. Well, the whole city is like pure gold, like clear glass. I read about a guy who went to heaven, but you know what? He, he bought some, brought some gold with him because he didn't want to let go of his gold. And he got there through the pearly gates and 
And Peter says, why do you bring asphalt with you? You know? The idea there is that, guess what? Things that we consider so precious here, and they're small pictures of the more beautiful gold in heaven, are nothing compared to what's coming. Amen? Now, when we're talking about this, consider God's throne. Because we've just seen at the beginning of this message, verse 10 and 11, the whole city looks like jasper. We've seen that the walls are made of jasper. What about God's, the foundation of the stone or foundation of God's throne? Let's look at Exodus chapter 24, verses 9 and 10. It says, Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, obviously not in all his glory. Under his feet was what? A work like pavement made of what? Of sapphire, as clear as the sky itself. Now that's interesting. Sapphire foundation. But look at Revelation chapter 4. I'll bring it up on the screen. Revelation chapter 4. The very next scripture, I think, is Revelation. No, we'll, be, well, we'll go to the picture. I'm sorry. We'll ne- go to the next picture. The picture I just skipped with the sapphire type. You know, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. It's going to look beyond anything we can depict, right? Then we'll go to Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. When it, John the Apostle is caught up to see the heavenly throne. And now keep in mind, before this time, Jesus said, even to the religious leaders, of the Father, that he's spirit, he says. And he said, no one has seen his form. No one has seen his form. Implying, which I think is really heavy, that he has some kind of form that can be somehow localized or perceived possibly. He says no one's heard his voice or seen his form ultimately. Or he says you haven't. I'm sorry, specifically to them. Others have heard his voice. But look at Revelation 4, 2 and 3 and it gives us a glimpse. A glimpse of the Father on the throne. Immediately I was in the Spirit And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne, and he who was sitting was like a what? Like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance. And there was what? A rainbow around the throne, like what? An emerald in appearance. Man, you guys, (laughs) that's going to be so beautiful, you know? And keep in mind what we have here on earth that if you saw an emerald, if you walked out and say, hey, honey, you know the rainbow? There's, there's an ra- emerald rainbow out there now. We would all trip. Just be, wow, that's so gorgeous. Well, let's be around God's throne, beyond what we'd see on this earth. And his appearance was as a jasper and a sardius. Now, it's interesting. Let's look at the next one. We see a jasper stone. Jasper is, you know, kind of a, a, a red, which is kind of interesting. It's opaque, typically, which I think is interesting. Uh, when we think of jasper today, we think of an opaque reddish type stone. But it's interesting, in those days in the first century, when you look at when you read Pliny, the elder, in his book, Natural History, and his contemporary of the Apostle Paul's, uh, he's designated different stones that were considered jaspers in those days. And one of them happened to be a uh, first century uh, stone from India that resembled an emerald, and it was considered a jasper. Let's look at this next one. So this stone was considered a jasper in these days. So it's hard to know exactly the kind of stone uh, that he was 
looking at our, this, this is like an emerald, an uncut emerald, but it said the jasper was like an, uh, uh, one of the renditions of the jasper, you know. So it's interesting. Now, sardius is a beautiful reddish stone, sometimes reddish orange or more reddish typically. Beautiful, beautiful stone. And these are the colors that he sees emanating uh, from, from the throne of God. We'll look at the next slide. John the Apostle did happen to get one picture when he was up there. And uh, no, that was not it. He didn't get a picture. No photographs back then. So uh, now go to Revelation. Let's, now we're ready to go to Revelation chapter 21, verses 19 and 20. It says in verses 19 and 20, the foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was, guess what? Jasper, there it is again. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, sardius. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. The twelfth, amethyst. So you have all these incredibly precious stones and now in our world certain we have all these gemstones but there's certain gemstones that are considered more precious than others like like diamonds and and you know rubies and emeralds but it's interesting when you think of new jerusalem the foundations of the city with the names of the apostles on them because they represent the church they represent you are made from these 12 stones We'll look at the next slide. This is one artist's rendition of, of, of New Jerusalem coming down from heaven with the 12 different foundations made from these, these precious stones. And uh, praise God, man. It's going to be far more glorious, as I said, than any picture can say. Next slide. Here we see the different ones. Jasper, Sapphire, Chalcedony, Emerald, Sardonyx, Sardis, uh, Chrysolite, Beryl, Topaz, uh, Chris Praise, Jacinth, Amethyst. Going to be pretty wild, amen? But keep in mind, it's not just these stones. The stones themselves look beautiful. But those stones without any light wouldn't look so beautiful, would they? Without any light, you couldn't even see them. It's the light that, that shows their beauty. But God's light, which is pure light, is going to shine through them. Now, this is interesting. The Bible says that God is light, right? And in him dwells no darkness at all. And the brilliance of the city will be filled with his light, the light of the Father and the light of the Son. And they will shine radiantly, brilliantly through New Jerusalem, which will be comprised of all these precious stones, mainly looking like jasper. But here's another thing that I think is really, really, really heavy. In fact, if you're talking to an atheist, this might be a good thing to share with them. They've now found that there are two different types of gems, gemstones, isotropic and girls, you, wanna, you don't want to miss this part. Isotropic, especially because it's about gemstones. I'm messing with you. And anisotropic. Isotropic and anisotropic. Just make sure you catch this one later, this part on, on the video. You'll love it. Isotropic and anisotropic. Chad came back just in time. Isotropic uh, and anisotropic. Now, it's interesting. What's the difference? So there's different types of gemstones. Those two, either isotropic or anisotropic. And an isotropic gemstone is a gemstone that pure light doesn't penetrate. 
doesn't refract pure light, doesn't light up under pure light. And without pure light, it's kind of a, uh, just a dumbing down way of talking about uh, cross-polarized light, straight light. Like right now we can have laser beams. Now they didn't know that there was difference between isotropic and anisotropic gemstones until this last century. John couldn't have known this when he wrote this 2,000 years ago. So why does he write, which you're going to see what I'm saying in a minute. Why does he write this 2,000 years ago? Because God knew. But in those days, they didn't know there was isotropic and anisotropic because uh, you have pure light or straight light that's just pure and straight, like a laser beam, right? And you have also a lot of light that can be very damaging. So we have, we, you can basically show pure light's existence through cross-polarization. So, you know, when you have polarized sunglasses or like light can go through my fingers, right? But if you polarize it and cross-polarize it, you're putting like a cross-polarized filter there, right? And if you put a cross-polarized filter there, light that's bouncing everywhere, which so much of the light is bouncing everywhere, isn't going to go through that because it's not straight. It's just going to bounce around and it's just not going to show up. So, so cross-polarization allows just for pure light, okay, to go through something. And it's interesting. Isotropic gemstones are gemstones that will not refract and glow and, make be, and, and transport or transmit pure light. They just don't do that. But anisotropic gemstones, their translucent is such a way with regard to how they function with pure light is that they transmit pure or straight light. Are you with me? Big difference, okay? Now, it's interesting because years ago, you couldn't tell the difference in stones often, and there were a lot of people ripped off, and I was going to use an illustration or two about some of the biggest heists where people, you know, thought they were getting a bunch of, for instance, of one stone, but they didn't, but you wouldn't be able to tell the difference often. Now, you could tell the difference between anisotropic and isotropic gemstones, which is really interesting. Uh, in fact, you couldn't tell the difference until they've created what's called a refractometer, okay? And in gemological uh, uh, application, they'll use what's called a, a refractometer, and this refractometer will, pet, will use straight light, just pure light. And certain gemstones just light up because they transmit the light. Certain gemstones don't light up. They don't transmit the stones. But what's really, really interesting to me is some of the most coolest looking stones are isotropic, not anisotropic. They don't transmit pure light. Give you an example. What's considered one of the most precious stones? Name a couple of them. Diamond, rubies. Guess what, diamonds and rubies? They're not anisotropic, they're isotropic. Now, if I was writing the book of Revelation, right? Or you were, and God said, come up with 12 stones that you want my city to be made of, which he would never do that, it's his decision. But I'd probably write diamonds, garnets, rubies. But they're not anisotropic. They're isotropic. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, now, the Bible mentions diamonds. For instance, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 1, mentions rubies. says, who can find a virtuous woman her price is far above rubies? Proverbs 31.10. They were very, those stones were just considered incredible. But they don't make the list in the 12 gemstones. Interesting. 
Well, only God knew what was anisotropic and what was isotropic. In fact, uh, let's look at the next picture. Here's a diamond and some garnets and stuff under anisotropic, pure. They're anisotropic. I'm sorry, they're isotropic. This is the diamond and, you know, the, the couple, some of the garnets and so forth. I don't have a ruby up there. But this is under pure light. Guess what? They turn black. They don't shine at all. They just actually turn black. If that's all they have is that light, they don't, they don't do anything. And that's quite interesting because now notice these gemstones in the next slide that we're looking at. Let's back up one, bro. I think we missed one slide. Ah, no, didn't get up there. No problem. But that's okay. I wanted, this slide's more important than the slide we missed. The next slide. These are those gemstones, <laughs> the ones that are listed in Revelation chapter 21, under pure light, under cross-polarized light, straight light. And guess what they do? They show cascading rainbow effects. Every single stone that's listed in Revelation chapter 21 is anisotropic. Anisotropic versus isotropic. Think about that for a second. What were the chances, if this was a coincidence, that John just had to pick all the right stones that would reflect pure light? Some have said one in a thousand. I'd say it's even far less than that. Why? Because you have to not just figure how many gemstones there are, you have to figure which gemstones that you would most gravitate to to put on there. And I'd put the ruby on there. I'd put the diamond in there. I'd probably put some of the garnets in there. But they're all not on there. Now, these are clear like crystal, these stones too. So God gives them the effect, a diamond-like effect. But guess what? Whatever God has going in heaven and what are these stones, because these stones are like these stones on earth, is going to far exceed any diamonds on earth. Amen. And they're going to refract all the colors of God. And by the way, the names of the apostles are on the 12 foundation stones. The apostles represent the church. These stones represent the church of the living Christ. Are you still with me today? Now, it's interesting because when the high priest went into the temple, he represented God, right? And what did he, well, I'm sorry. He represented who? Who's our ultimate high priest? Jesus Christ. Amen. The high priest is a picture of the ultimate high priest, Christ. When the high priest died, everybody was set free that was in the city of refuge that was guilty or not guilty, that was waiting trial or what have you. They were set free. When Jesus died, we were set free. And the high priest would go in just once a year. And what did he bear on his chest? Let's look at the next slide. He bore 12 gemstones. Each gemstone was for who? One of the what? Tribes of the children of Israel. The gemstones represent God's people. Amen? Just as the 12 foundational stones represent the apostles and God's people. And the high priest, where did he wear them? Over his heart. Amen? And it was for the people of Israel that the high priest would offer sacrifice. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice so we could be part of the Holy of Holies, amen? 
just as he brought those gemstones into the Holy Holies, but the Israelites couldn't come in yet. It was a picture of how they would be able to be brought in as he bore them on his heart. Amen. Now we get to go into the Holy Holies in the form of New Jerusalem with our high priest who will wear us because we are his temple and we're part of the body of Christ forever and ever. You still with me? Is it just me or is this stuff awesome? <laughs> it just blows me away, man, how awesome God is. In fact, look at Exodus chapter 28, verse 21. It says, The stones shall be according to the names of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names. They shall be like engravings of a seal, each according to his name for the 12 tribes. Wow. It's a beautiful, powerful typology, guys. Mind-boggling. We'll look at the next slide. It's another, just another depiction of... Uh, now, uh, we cannot really identify each and every stone that's on the... Because Hebrew came long before the, the Greek New Testament and the Hebrew words, you can't, uh, you can't make an uh, exact, exact notion of what each stone was, but they're roughly the same as the stones, to the best way we understand them, as the stones that are on the foundations as well. Foundation stones, which is really interesting. Now, let's go to Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. What does this have to do with you? Everything. Daniel 12, 3, what does it say? Those who have insight will shine brightly. Let's talk about the end of days. The brightness, like what? Like the brightness of what? The expanse of heaven. Wow. And those who lead the many to righteousness, like the stars, what? forever and ever. So you guys, it doesn't just compare you to gemstones in the eternal kingdom, but to what? Stars. Amen? Jesus is called the bright morning star. We're made his image. It says when he comes back, we'll be transformed and we'll be made like him. Did anybody see some of the new pictures from the James Webb telescope that just got, came out the last few weeks and stuff? Mind-boggling. Because the James Webb Telescope goes far deeper into space than anything we've seen in the past, uh, way deep into space. In fact, let's start looking at some of those pics. And we'll look at the next slide. Sometimes you're just seeing all kinds of galaxies, we're being told, right? Next slide. Just absolutely beautiful. Next slide. And next slide. And then we'll look at the next slide. Can we have lights off, guys? Because you can see a lot better, I think, you know? I was hoping we could have... Uh, okay, I guess you guys see good enough. This isn't James Webb here. Here are some older photos that... Some of my favorites that I've liked. Uh, next slide. Next slide. What are we seeing? Color, you guys. Beauty. Wow. Next slide. just mind-boggling so guess what these are a picture of what God has going and it's a picture of what we have in our fallen universe which is entropy psychological dynamics is set in it's nothing like it's going to be in the new heaven the new earth but these are all pictures not just gemstones the stars are pictures of what new Jerusalem is going to be like the brightness and the beauty in fact when Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, 
before his disciples when Elijah and Moses came to him. What does it say? Let's look at the picture, this next picture. It says he lit up like the sun. Remember when he appeared to John on the Isle of Patmos to give him the book of Revelation? It says his face was like the sun at noonday. Wow. Just at noon. And John's like, whoa. And this was a, that was after his resurrection. He put his hand on John and said, fear not. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Right? On the alpha, he said, on the first, last, and so forth. But he says, don't fear. Because John's tripping out. He's all radiated, right? Well, <laughs> it's amazing because... When Jesus was on that Mount of Transfiguration, it says he shined. In fact, you know what it says? In Luke 9, 29, it says, and we'll look at the next scripture. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became what? As bright as what? A flash of lightning. Anybody ever see a flash of lightning? And by the way, do you know uh, one of the radical evidences we don't need this as evidence for Christ's resurrection. The best evidence of Christ's resurrection is the eyewitness accounts that we have in Scripture of those who walked with him, those who put themselves in harm's way and even sacrificed their lives and say he lives. Talk about, <laughs> talk about uh, evidence, right? If you have one credible witness in a court of law, you're in trouble. But he had witnesses that even sealed their testimony in their blood, the apostles that wrote the New Testament, amen? But you know what's really cool is the uh, Shroud of Turin. Because the Shroud of Turin... In fact, uh, Chad and I uh, interviewed, or I don't know if I was in the interview. I think Chad interviewed that guy. I was? I was, yeah. I got to be in that interview. That was great. Uh, one of the leading, uh, <laughs> well, we interviewed, we talked to so many people. I lose track of everybody. And uh, we interviewed one of the foremost experts on the resurrection, who's probably the, among the top debaters. William Lane Craig is a top, one of the top debaters of the resurrection. Man, I'm slipping, it's slipping my mind now, Chad. Oh, Habermas, man. Gary Habermas. Man, look up Gary Habermas. He's, and I feel bad even forget his name because he's such an awesome, in fact, he was doubting his faith until he started studying the resurrection more. And then he's like, why would I even doubt this? Wow. And then he becomes one of the foremost experts. In fact, Gary Habermas had a huge uh, impact on a man who wrote a book, you know, uh, about how he came to believe in God. And he was a top atheist debater for like three decades before, uh, you know, Hawkins came around, you know. And uh, Anthony, Anthony Flew became a, not a believer in Christ because he that was very old and he, before he came to Christ, but he came to believe in theism that God created everything because of DNA and everything. But Habermas in debating him had a huge effect on him. But guess what he would use, or he talks about often, I should say, is the Shroud of Turin because they don't have an explanation for the Shroud of Turin. And it's considered by many to be the burial cloth of Jesus. And we'll look at that next. The that they've, now keep in mind, now we have thousands of people working on trying to duplicate this. They can't even come close. In fact, the closest they've come to trying to explain it perhaps is, because they say it's like a negative photograph. It's like a picture. But they didn't know how to take pictures back then. So they thought, well, maybe hundreds of years before they were able to take pictures, somebody figured out how to do it, and then they just lost the technology, you know? And then one guy simulated it. Well, they could have used this rare thing and this rare thing and brought these things together and took it a taken a picture. Wow, isn't that amazing? And then the pictures he took, I think well, how they may have done it, they fade away. <laughs> Thing sticks, man. But what many uh, point out is that the evidence seems to appear that there's been a burst of energy 
electricity at Christ's resurrection to leave that imprint. And many right now, that's like the prevailing view among many people and many scientists that there is an, an, an explosion of power, which would fit interestingly with the scripture that we just gave about how when Jesus shined, it was like a flash of light, it looked like a flash of lightning, you know? Well, when he rose from the dead, because that was a picture of his resurrection. When they're seen him on the Mount of Transfiguration, amen, in his second coming, right? But wow, guys, <laughs> what are you seeing? You're seeing, which could, I mean, they have, by the way, keep in mind, you have all kinds of skeptics over and over again that hate this thing and they're just trying to explain the way they can't. They know it's not a painting. No one's been able to do anything and they realize it's, and by the way, it's like a negative because it's dark where it should be light, light where it should be dark, which is a negative. And, it can, and, and when you take it into a dark room, it, it lights up. It's like a negative. <laughs> like a, there's been this flash of light. Uh, and so I think that's quite amazing. And Jesus Christ is our resurrected Lord. Amen? And it's just interesting. And we're looking at light today and gemstones and so forth. Look at the next scripture that we're going to put up there, Philippians 3, 20 and 21. And I want to thank uh, Josh and thanks, Jonathan, for taking us through this because I know that can be work with me because I speak a little fast sometimes. But uh, uh, praise God, Josh was kind enough last night to help me get my slides together. But in Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21, it says this, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate into what? Into what? What's going to transform our lowly bodies into, guys? Conformity with the body of his glory. And he's going to make your body like his body. By the exertion, by the exertion of what? The power that he has even to subject all things to himself. This is the God that created the universe, guys. Matthew 13, 43 says the righteous, listen to this. Remember in Daniel it said, talked about shining like the stars in heaven. In Matthew 14, 33, Jesus said this of the wheat, of the believers in Christ, those who trust him. If this is you, if you trust Jesus and you die in the faith, listen to what he said. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You're gonna shine like the sun forever and ever. Not because we're anything or deserve anything, but because we are living jewels refracting and reflecting his what? The light of his glory, his person. Is that a trip? That's why the moon is such a powerful symbol of the believer because the moon doesn't have its own light, but the, room, the moon what? Now it's not even really a gem, but it reflects the light of the sun, amen? And the Bible Use the S-U-N son as a picture of Jesus' S-O-N son. Talks about how he is a son of righteousness, S-U-N. The sun is a picture. And it's just, the sun, by the way, where you're like, wait, wait we're shining like the stars or we're shining like the sun? The sun is just a what? It's a star that happens to be really close to our earth. Amen? When you look at those stars and you look at the sun, you're like, that's just a star that we're really close to. It's mind-boggling, but we're going to shine like the stars, shine like the sun. And we're like the moon. And in the Song of Solomon, it talks about the bride, which is a picture of the bride of Christ, that when she's in her glory, she shines like the full moon. Well, guess what? When we're reflecting Jesus, praise God, we shine, amen? But when we let the world get behind, between Jesus and us, what happens? There's an eclipse, amen? 
Amen? We don't want to let the world system get between us and Jesus. Amen? We want to put Jesus before the world. Otherwise, we won't shine his light. Amen? We want to, be, we want to shine for Jesus and love Jesus far more than the world. Amen? Or sometimes, guess what? You know, we can get behind between Jesus and the world. And we get between them and then we create another eclipse where people can't see Jesus. There's solar and lunar eclipses and we want to avoid both solar and lunar eclipses, amen? We want to point to Jesus and we want to be Christ-like. We want to let his light shine through us, amen? Now look at this next scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief, uh, suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you, or come, so what? That the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than what? Gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The trials that we go through, when you go through a trial, say, you know what? I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to... Uh, Stop praying. I'm not going to get bitter toward God because I, you got to recognize, guess what? When you're going through a trial, you either get bitter or you get what? Better. You either get bitter or you get better. If you turn your way, eyes away from God, you're going to get bitter. When you're going through trials and you're struggling with the inflation right now, some people are saying, I long for the good old days, you know, when there was no inflation so high and the gas prices were okay and the borders weren't overrun you know all the stuff before Biden became president right like I long for those days you know it's like well guess what yeah things are getting worse but guess what you keep your eyes on heaven man you keep your eyes on Jesus amen you keep your chin up and you can point to other people and say I have joy because I walk with Jesus and no matter what I go through in this world and what trials I face whether I can't pay my bills as, as promptly as I want to or whether man it's getting tough with a credit card or it's getting tough you know putting gas in my tank and I can't know that whether I should you know buy you know food for my kids or pay for gas to go to work or whatever you're struggling with you know you put your eyes on Jesus amen because he promises if we put our eyes on him that He'll meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory, amen? And that he'll take care of us. But guess what? Every trial that you're going through, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you're being refined to be more precious than gold, amen? To be a part of his heavenly kingdom, amen? To be a gem that shines for him, for, with him forever. That's why we read in Revelation, the next scripture I want up there, and thanks again, Jonathan. Uh, Revelation chapter uh, 19, the very next scripture. Look at verse seven and eight. This is right before Christ comes back for his bride. Let us rejoice and shout for joy. Let us give him glory and honor for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She has been permitted to dress in what? Fine linen, dazzling what? Dazzling white and clean for, her, for the fine linen signifies the what? Righteous acts of the saints. Guess what? The righteous things you do for Jesus right now I believe a lot of the rewarding takes place in your new body. That people will get different bodies. It says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it implies there'll be different, different bodies according to different glory, according to uh, people have different bodies. You want to shine for Jesus for eternity? Keep trusting him, amen? But the more things you do for his glory and the more you live for him, the greater I believe you will shine for him in his eternal kingdom. What are we talking about here? Something really profound in 1 Peter 2, 4 and 6, it says this. 
and coming to him, listen to this, and coming to him as to a living stone. Jesus is a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, now listen to this, it's you, me, believers. You also as living stones, you're living gems, guys. As living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Wow. Do you guys get it, man? That we're being prepared for heaven. Nobody here should lose heart, no matter what you go through. You should dig your feet into the rock of Jesus Christ and say, I will not be moved. I'll be immovable because I'm going to trust that you're going to bring all this to pass and that whatever you allow me to experience, it's for your glory in the end. When the kids are hard, when some of them aren't following Christ and, and it's breaking your heart and, and when you're, you're, you're being mocked at work or you know, different things that you may experience that you go through, you know, or you're like, man, I, I'm still looking for the right guy or the right gal, you know, that's if you're a girl looking for the right guy and a guy looking for the right gal, okay, and, and you know, when's that going to happen, Lord? Man, that's nothing compared to what God has going with you. Do you understand that? <laughs> because you are his bride for all eternity, amen, and I try to be the best husband by God's grace I can, and my wife, I love her, the best dad I can be to my children. But guess what? They're never going to find it. My children will never find a better father than the father in heaven. My wife will never find a better groom than she'll find in Jesus. And my heart's desire is my children know their heavenly father. And my wife knows Jesus, her eternal bridegroom. Amen. We all want to make sure we know the Lord. And that's why I love Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now listen to this. So that he might, what? Sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, but that she would be holy and blameless. He wants to present the church in all her glory. How does she have all kinds of glory? Because she reflects the glory of the Lord and her righteous deeds will be fitted with her in the resurrection where she'll shine with him forever and ever. You guys. <laughs> you ever go hiking, you know, and you're going to the beautiful mountainscape and so forth. I love to hike and used to backpack all the time. You get a map, right? And you look at that map and you, you could see, okay, here's where I'm gonna hike. But then if you got a topographical map, give you a lot more detail, right? But then you might get photographs and see some, ooh, this place is amazing. But none of that is close to what happens then when what? You get there. Amen? Then you're like, wow, that waterfall is amazing, way better than the pictures. Because you, you soak in the elements, you have your five senses, and you're just like, wow, man, how amazing. Well, guess what? We've gotten a picture, but we still don't even have a photograph of heaven. We have these word pictures, amen? But we have symbols and things used on earth to give us an understanding, amen? Amen? It's gonna be so beyond what we dream or think. In fact, in Ephesians 3.20, says, unto him who is able to do exceedingly above that which you dream or imagine, amen? Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered in the hearts of men what God has prepared for those who love him, amen? It's gonna be so mind-boggling. Hold on to Jesus, Get excited about your home because your life is a flash, man. Your life is a vapor. It's going to be gone pretty soon. 
but you're gonna be with him forever. Amen? I have decided to follow Jesus. The cross before me, the world behind me, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand up in, in honor of him and partake of the communion service.